you're coaching something and you don't actually do it or you don't really understand it, there's no doubt in my mind that if you're not authentic, you will get caught out, end off. Most entrepreneurial people, if your partner's on board and they're supportive, I feel that like it kind of skyrockets you because they understand what the vision is, what the goal is, and what the sacrifices are to get it. When I speak to sometimes people and say, I want 100 properties, I say, look, that just sounds cool. And when you start breaking it down the way you did, all of a sudden they think, actually, income is what's really important. My name is Ibi Aslam and you're listening to Ibi Aslam Uncensored. Welcome to my podcast where we discuss property, business, lifestyle and well-being. If this is the first time you are visiting us, then please hit the follow button on your app. Don't forget, we are also on YouTube. You can watch these interviews in full there too and join the discussions in the comments. Just search Ibi Aslam Uncensored. There's new episodes every week, so I'll see you there. Appreciate you coming down. Did you just have, did you come down for this or did you have other Do you know what, mate, mainly for this, but because our Q3 events in Manchester, I thought I may as well yeah. use the time, you know what I mean? To, to look for. Yeah, it was like, it was this place and 20 stories are the two places we're considering. Okay. Because uh, it's just going to be like a get together. It's not going to be like a big seminar yeah, yeah, event. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I love this place. But I went to 20 stories earlier just to see what it was like. What do you think? I like it because it was raining. I didn't really see that. It was yeah. half meter. Well, they've got a cigar lounge in here. Yeah, I've just been down there. I, I love it here. I've been here before. Sick. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, I, Dakota, I would say, is top three. Yeah, definitely, mate. I like it. Yeah. What else would you say is good? Uh, Radisson. I haven't been there, no. Five-star hotel. This yeah. is not a five-star, but it's This almost, isn't five-star? I don't think it is, no. I might be wrong. Um, what, could, Google it. It's Dakota five-star or four-star. Um, I feel like it's five-star. Yeah, it does. That's what I'm saying. But Radisson is five-star. Okay. I would say you don't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I like the vibe here. It's very like modern. You know what I mean? It's boutique type. Yeah, I like yeah, it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Like I seen Stephen Fry last week. Oh, in here. I yeah. don't know him. I just, just passing by normal. Yeah, yeah. Two weeks, a few weeks ago, Simon Cowell. Yeah. So they do all stay here. Okay, yeah. Because it's just one of them. Yeah. It's close to Piccadilly. Yeah. yeah. Is it four star? Four star, yeah. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I seen Stephen Fry in court before. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he was all cameras. Everybody thought, "Fucking, what's the chances of me coming here today?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, listen, uh, D. Thank you so much for coming down. I know you're doing a lot of good stuff, and I recently seen you getting around in private jets, and we'll yeah. tap into that. Yeah. But in your own words, what would you say you do? Predominantly, I'm uh, in sort of mergers and acquisitions, so. We buy businesses, we look to um, bolt on businesses that have, well, in the same vertical um, to eventually exit. Um, but because just in business as a whole, I, we kind of cross over on a lot of different things. Okay. Um, it's not just like one set thing, you know. Okay, so when you say uh, mergers and acquisitions, like you mean, just break that down. Okay, so we look for initially, if we're looking for a new sector, so let's say we're looking in, um, say we're looking in the plumbing sector. We yeah, look yeah, for yeah. a good platform company that is just in general a good business and EBITDA positive, and then we will build off there. The whole idea people would say is well, we create a roll up where you know you, you buy a, a few others and you piece them together, try and consolidate bits of the business, and then look to exit. But you know our time horizon, as much as it is like twenty four to thirty six months, yeah takes however long it takes. So, yeah, yeah, and yeah. we found that we was quite sector agnostic to start. And then what we found was um, you just kind of get dragged from pillar to post, another opportunity comes up and it may not be directly um, what you're looking for, but it also can create value within the, the group as a whole. Okay, so, so, so the business is now your broad, right? So mm -hmm. anything that comes up, as long as it makes sense to you and your team, you're in. We was, you, you was like that? Yeah, yeah. Now, but not now? No, nah, we're, we're definitely become more niche now. Um, Got it, okay. Just because we were just dragged everywhere and there's only so many of us. Right. Um, we felt like because there, there is, we have a decent team, we thought we, had we have the capacity, but when you start to acquire in different sectors, you start to realise how thin... Um, yeah, how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it starts becoming hard. Okay, so when, let's just say a business comes sits on your table this morning, mm. What is what is the some of the top three four things that you would straight away look at? So, good cash flow, um, good margins, good gross margin, yeah, high revenue per employee. Um, if you look at the top ten customers, 
a good revenue split between those so there's not much revenue concentration. Look at the profit per customer, if there's assets, good return on assets, um, good payment terms. Mm. That's the kind of things we look at. But we don't get put off unless there's something drastic. So if it's a good business and we believe that we can improve it, then yeah. we would entertain it, providing it does fit our criteria. But there's some situations where if there is revenue concentration, then we do look at it. There's one now we're working with now where um, it's got quite bad revenue concentration, but we are going to work towards it to try and improve it. Um, if it's key man dependency, it's not end of the world, but if it's like a non-transferable skill or there's too much tribal knowledge attached to the the owner, then that becomes quite hard as well. Um, or if there's terrible payment terms. Um, we see a lot of companies that become quite addicted to loan facilities. So an invoice facility, for instance, they get addicted to it. So the company can't function without debt. And mm. that, it all depends really, like it's, a, it's really a deal by deal basis, but okay. ideally something with good cash flow to start with. Yeah. And see, what's your thoughts on restaurant businesses? Like, is that something you look at or you think, not for us? For us, it wouldn't be something we look at. Um, okay. None of us really have a skill set in it. Um, I've been, I've had a business that's in that kind of industry a few years ago, but yeah. personally, it wouldn't be something we would look at. I also find it, um, depending on what it is, like if you have a few chains, it's, it's slightly different, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't really fit our business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was in the restaurant business mm. and hard, right? It's very hard. It's yeah. profitable as well, but yeah. it's very hard. It takes over your life kind mm. of thing. I feel that this is a bit of a, the whole stigma around restaurants, coffee shops, like, you know, yeah. people are like, oh, you make loads of money. And you can, you can make really good money, but I feel that you do earn every penny of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, tell me about yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. So like, you can make good money, but you, you, you're earning every penny. Plus there's a lot of um, employee turnover as well, which... I find staff retention is quite hard in the, in the restaurant and just food industry as a whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also seen this morning you you put something on your story about some app you're launching. Yeah. What is that? So it's called Dealmaker. So in my mastermind where everyone in the mastermind is kind of looking to buy in businesses anyway. Yeah. Um, and we've probably got 100, 150,000 just leads sat there that people have gone through they spoke to business owners and the business owners wanted slightly higher than they would want to pay. Yeah. So rather than those leads go to waste, mm. we've got a group of people that are very knowledgeable and clued up on the buy side approach. Yeah. And I find a lot of sell side brokers that the group deals with, they're, they're not as knowledgeable on the actual process. The expectations they give their client, I feel is ridiculous. They, um, they, all they want is the upfront fee or a large retainer. Yeah. Where we thought, right, look, we understand buy side and sell side, especially me and the, my two business partners, um, all of us have bought and sold businesses. Got it. So, you know, and all the way from like a very small business all the way up to selling to one of the biggest private equity firms yeah, in the yeah, world. Yeah. So we understand the whole process from down the bottom to the top. So we thought that if we create a platform, one, we give the group an opportunity to monetize some of their leads. And two, we actually create a realistic valuation for a person that's looking to sell their business, put it on a platform and try and match them with a buyer. Now, if they want slightly higher, then we're up front with them and we're like, look, it's probably a little bit too high for just to go and target certain people in the market. Yeah. But maybe we find a more strategic buyer for you and we'll place you as someone that can afford to pay a slightly higher multiple because they're going to bring in um, you know, some of the things that you have, whether it's a, the, the customer list or whatever, whatever infrastructure they can bring in for it to make sense to them. So it's, it's essentially uh, an online business brokerage, but uh, for businesses, a, for businesses that, you know, businesses for sale, a minimum um, of a million turnover. And we try and place them with a strategic buyer, but they also get advertised on the platform and they get the sell side advisory from one of the deal partners as well. That's really intelligent, that. That's really, really good. Mm. So it's a bit like right move, but for businesses. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. And th there is a few more out there, but mm. like Dalton's and... Yeah, Dalton's, there's um, Right Biz, there's, there's quite a few. Um, yeah. 
But what I find is I don't think there's like a minimum criteria for any of those websites. Any they'll they'll sell anything. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think they both they're good platforms, but I feel that the selling businesses and buying businesses that world. I feel is very old school and it needs modernization. Modernizing, yeah. And I feel that that's what we're looking to do, try and be a bit more innovative. And it's not saying that, you know, we're any better than those guys. We, we'd like you to think we are. <laughs> we'd like to think we are, but you know, at the end of yeah, the day, yeah, yeah. We're, all, we're all here and, and we're happy for, you know, the, a business owner to select the person they prefer yeah, yeah, to go yeah. with. And we, we know that the, our pricing strategy for what we're looking to do, we price the business to sell. And essentially, unless the business sells, we don't really benefit like some of the larger brokers. Some of the larger brokers want 20, 30, 40, 50 grand up front or large retainers to even get started. You know, we're like, look, we're going to price ourselves to the point where we'll get you ready for market, but right. we need to sell for it to make sense for us. So we're not going to advertise anything unless we think we can sell your business for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We won't even take you on as a client. So, makes sense, yeah. yeah. But you know, when you and your team decided that you wanted to launch this app, mm. Did you study Dalton and the way their model works and be like, okay, we need to go here and we need to do it better than them? Pay attention. I've got some exciting news for you guys. I've launched a seven day free, total free audio course for you guys, which is gonna help you improve and elevate your mindset. And it's also gonna help you in your business. All you have to do is go and sign up every single day, day one to day seven, you will receive a free two minute audio from me in my own words, in my voice. And what that will do is help you in your business and your mindset. Make sure you go and sign up and let me know how you find it. Yeah, yeah, we looked at um, everyone in the marketplace, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, mainly looked at some of the larger brokers, um, you know, KBS, Knightsbridge, Kingsbrook. We looked at all of those, and we looked at where we felt that we could do things slightly better yeah, yeah, and yeah. differently. Um, there was some things that are really evident that we could do differently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, I think that the one thing that really stands out more than anything, is understanding the actual process and understanding what it feels like to be a buyer and a seller. Yeah. You know, a lot of those large brokers, they, some of the people that they employ to sell a business, I feel they don't even understand how to value the business correctly. And I understand someone else in the background is probably doing it. But when you ask them a question on something, they don't quite understand. Yeah. Even little things like the adjustments. Like, for instance, um, if I was to buy a business from you and, you know, let's say, you work in the day-to-day -day operations, but your replacement costs maybe 50,000 to replace you. Yeah. And let's say you're taking out 100,000. Mm. And I know that I can add back a surplus 50,000 to the bottom line because to replace you, it's gonna cost me 50,000. Mm. They'll just add the whole thing back. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. just one example of what they do. And I see them add back personal expenses. There's just loads of things that I yeah, feel yeah. that like, they, they, what frustrates me with this is because if you're the business owner that's selling, They've told you one probably very unrealistic multiple that you're going to get for your business just to get the money off you. Mm. And also, they've probably told you you can add all this stuff back that a buyer immediately, especially one that understands the process, is going to say, look, I'm not adding that back. And then all of a sudden, it becomes a bit of a dispute straight away. Now, the easiest example I would say is if you went to list your house, you went to two estate agents. The one said, I can give you half a million. The other person says, I can give you probably 450. Yeah. Which one are you going to list Half with? a million. And this is th this is the thing, thing that yeah. I feel is really frustrates me um, is they'll say, what do you want for the business? Mm. If your magic number is a million or two million, they'll say, we could probably get you a little bit more. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, get your checkbook out. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, like maybe that's not their approach, but from my observation, that's why I feel is going on. We want to try Change and that. disrupt it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I can see you're passionate about it. So... Like I know I've bought a few businesses and it was just on wrong numbers. <laughs> it was just because the way it was presented. Yeah. And yeah, I get that. Can I ask you, so, you know, from the time you decided to create this app mm. and to you launched it today or yesterday? So it's officially launching this Saturday. But okay, this Saturday. Yeah, it was more of a case if we, we went public with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can I ask what that period, how long it was? Um... Probably about eight weeks. So, eight weeks? Yeah, so basically... The, that is fast, bro. Yeah, yeah. So originally, the way... We already had a lot of the infrastructure because we was already buying businesses. So we had yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. it. It was just sort of flipping it the other way. Um, and it was... The way we did this, really, like, you know, I feel like accidents end up being the best things in the end. Um, 
it was me, my business partner, Mike, and the development team on the phone, which is pretty much um, on, a, on a Zoom call as Mike's team. And I was basically going through what we wanted to do for like sell side. So, you know, prepping larger businesses for sale yeah. and offering them some sort of sell side advisory. Um, and also buy side advisory too, but we want to create a platform for this. Um, and then the developer said, what type of websites do you like? So I pulled up Rightmove, which is funny you said, Right yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said something like this and I was like actually a whole fire let's just create this but for businesses and, I'm, and then all of a sudden it become was like this is the idea Crazy, right? um, but yeah to me I'm like if I, if I have an idea like I always challenge the opposite opinion I'm like you know let's think of all the reasons why this wouldn't work because everyone gets very optimistic when they start something or go into a venture yeah, yeah. it always seems like a great idea so we looked at all the reasons why it wouldn't work mm. all the flaws in it how much time needs to go into it, what team we need. And I couldn't find a lot of downside. Of course, there always is. But yeah, I was yeah. like, there's a lot more ups than downs here. So it was like, let's just take this to market. Um, I suppose we'll be tweaking and streamlining it for the course, next three or four months but or longer. But it, we got it ready in eight weeks. Interesting. Yeah. Guys, look, it's a, it's a message here. If you think about something, put it to action. Yeah. Right? Eight weeks. I'm telling you, that is a very short amount of time, but clearly you had good infra infrastructure in place and, and that yeah. sort of thing. But yeah, yeah. Action is key here. Yeah. So how do you um, value a business? I want to know from you, like, how would you value a business? And I'm going to give you an example just to make it easier. Yeah. So let's just say a business is doing a million pound turnover. Yeah. And it's the profit, net profit is 30%. So 300 grand. Yeah. How would you value that? So... Initially, obviously, there's more to it. The numbers tell a story. So yeah, yeah. I would need to see three to five years management accounts. We call it the COVID stress test. So see how they dealt with in the COVID period. It's an easy way to understand the, if was they slightly exposed. Um, you know, some people had commodity risks in that time. Yeah, yeah. So we start to look at how they performed over that time. And then we look at what they was doing before and what they did at the back of it. So 2021 was like the year of demand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people <laughs> had the best year of their life in 2021. <laughs> so we look at how that they come out of this and then they look at how consistent they are today. So out of those three or five years managements, we start to look at the numbers, see if there's a, um, a consistency in the gross margin, see mm -hmm. if it changed because there was supply chain issues as well. Um, and then Looking at what they're doing today, so we get an up-to-date P&L off the back of that. We look at their creditors' debt. Sorry, but what's P&L? Like a profit and loss. So like okay. an up-to-date um, profit and loss. Yeah, yeah. Um, to see what Using it... technical language here. Yeah, People sorry, are going to understand this. <laughs> sorry, yeah. So, yeah, so up-to-date profit and loss to see how they're performing yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then some more recently, because management accounts are just historical data. Yeah, you yeah. Know, um, by the time they get filed, it's like you're miles behind. You need to see what they're doing today. Then we look at their debtors and creditors, so who they owe money to and who owes the business money. Got it. And then look at the payment terms on, on both of those. So like I mentioned just now, some people get addicted to loan facilities. So let's say your, in, your payment terms for your customers may be net 60, but then mm. your supplier terms are net 30. Mm. So you've got a 30 day deficit there where you also go collect the money. Yep. So there's a thing called a cash conversion cycle. So we start to work out what that cash conversion cycle looks like and how if they're going to be deprived of cash for any days of the month or how quick they can turn that money into actual cash because revenue isn't profit and profit isn't cash. Mm. So we look at the free cash flow. So when we get all the financial data, we usually ask tons of questions based on, because like I said, the numbers tell a story. Yeah. But then we break this down and then we look at what the free cash flow, the actual cash in the company, because the most known valuation metric for within sort of M&A is EBITDA, right? Earnings before interest tax, depreciation and amortization, right? Yeah. Now, it's fancy with a profit, minus, um, adding a few things back. But EBITDA doesn't account for working capital or doesn't account for CapEx. So we need to work out what the free cash flow is, which also accounts for both of those things. Yeah. Now, let's say that 300,000 you just mentioned. Yeah. Let's say that 300,000 is now the free cash flow could be, I don't know, 250. Yeah. So let's say it's 250 free cash flow. After all that, yeah. Yeah. Then, based on that 250, we would give a multiple on that 250, depending on what the business was and what the average multiple for that business is in the sector. So let's say three times, we're at 750K. Got it. Now, once we value it at 750K, I, I would probably say, look, our offer is 750K plus 
whatever cash in bank is left in the company. That could be another 250. Yeah. So now we're at a million, but minus three months working capital, which we'd have to work out because the working capital, as far as I'm concerned, is owned by the business. Yeah. And any surplus of the working capital is the owner's money that they can have on close. Interesting, interesting. So, so, so after all the stuff, it's 3x? Yeah, let's say three times, yeah. Okay, because I've heard some ways 10x and 8x, and that's all just... Well, it all depends. Like I said, that was just an example, but yeah, yeah. it depends what sector. Now, you know, for something around two, 300k, Yeah. unless you're in like cybersecurity, tech, yeah, yeah. Or, or like a SaaS company, I prob I would say that a company at that size is going to be anywhere between two and five, maybe if yeah. you're lucky. But the, the, but it all depends. Again, like we talked about, it depends earlier. on all the factors, right? There's so many things like yeah. the key man dependency. Like if the the business can't actually operate yeah, on yeah, a day to day yeah. basis without the owner at all, then there's a then it's not worth that. that, is it? Exactly. That's yeah, what yeah, makes yeah. it hard. Yeah. 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 Well, I've noticed with a lot of business owners that they, when they start off businesses, they think that they're going to get more freedom, but they end up getting more jobs, right? Yeah. So do you think that's a big problem for a lot of businesses and how, yeah. how can they get out of that cycle? What's the mindset they need to go into it? What to try and take themselves away from the business? Yeah, yeah. Because like, I know a lot of business owners, they start a business and be like, oh, well, I've got a business now. Yeah. So all of a sudden, like they, they've got some sort of freedom, but in reality, they've just bought themselves like six more jobs, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, what would you say is the right mindset to go into that? So if you're looking to buy something, yeah. um, I would say if you don't want to work in it on a day-to-day -day basis, there's one, you need to have a great management team in, yeah. in the pump business that you're buying. But yeah. just because it has a good management team doesn't mean that you can just not do nothing. At the end of the day, a business isn't a buy to let, right? <laughs> You yeah, know, you're not going to be able to just not do anything with it. Um, now, the way we look to do it is we want a good, strong management team. Mm. Usually one of the management team, um, usually the general manager or the MD yeah, yeah. or whatever it is, we'd probably offer them some like equity options. So based on performance, so it incentivizes them and maybe the term that people may not like, but get them in golden handcuffs to the point where I think that's smart, yeah. Yeah, they got skin in the game. Yeah. They want the business to grow. And then we'll link all this to either ERP or just a centralized dashboard where a KPI dashboard linked to the financials too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we got operational KPIs, financial KPIs that anywhere in the world you can just pick your laptop up and see them. And a good example I usually use is, let's say you have a service department, uh, sales department, you know, you know what today, you know, the sort of financial KPI you're meant to hit today. Let's say it's down 20%. You know, you see on the on, on the screen, you call the manager, the service manager, look, you know, you're down 20, 30% today, what's going on? And it could be something as easy as, look, we're, we're understaffed today, two people's called in sick, we haven't been able to do X, Y, and Z. But yeah. you get to the bottom of it very quickly, but without the data, you can't find that information out. No. So if you're gonna buy something, one, I would make sure you've got the good data sets ready, set up, good, KPI. So good systems then, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Systems are really important. Yeah. And obviously team. I always, people, without people, nothing happens. Nothing, so, yeah. nothing you know, can be expected. Yeah, I don't yeah. care how good the business is. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. the people don't turn up one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. And totally, I, I'm, I'm full on board with that systems and people, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And data, definitely data. Um, okay. Properties. Have you tapped into properties? Yeah, I, was, I invested in property for quite some years, yeah. Well, are you still in properties or not I still, really? I still got a portfolio, but I, I don't really invest in property anymore. Okay, okay. It seems like you've had a bit of a bad experience. Um, do you know what? It's, 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 um, for me, I feel that there's a lot of... Because property, look, the property education sector has been disrupted over mm. the COVID period. We've seen a lot of younger entrepreneurs come out now yeah. and offer education, which in my opinion, I think is a good thing because... I understand everyone's a coach now, but a lot of the younger entrepreneurs that are more innovative and they're very current, I think that people do need to learn from people that are doing it now because mm. things change, legislation changes, just in general, yeah, market yeah, yeah. changes. So a lot of people that created a good portfolio coming out of the back of 2008, they may not be as savvy in today's market. So I do believe that there needs to be a runway for younger, more hungry entrepreneurs. But I think what happened with the whole thing is the older mindset has also dragged into t 
today slightly too. So the whole financial freedom, let's do rent to rent, not, no, nothing against rent to rent, no. but you know, you know, into rent to rent or do something that, you know, deal sourcing or something that they feel that I'm going to make five, 10 grand a month very quickly. I'll quit my job, sack my boss. I don't really like that mentality. I think that, you know, when it comes to working for someone, I think that there's so much value in there. Like, you know, your, your employer has done something incredibly good to be able to outsource a job and delegate that job to you and pay you for it. So there's a lot you can learn from that individual. Whether you like them or not, you can learn from how they have built the business, how they have, you know, employed people and put a lot into it, you know. So I don't like that mentality, but when it comes to property, I feel that it is a long game and people need to understand that Definitely. the financial freedom element of it, like, what is that? Like, for me, I'm like, what is financial freedom? This whole cover your beer expenses, like, you can't, in my opinion, you can't quit your job if you've just covered your beer expenses in property because you have one void, one thing goes wrong, and you wipe, let's be honest, in a buy-to-let, you've got, what, 250 to 400 pound max-ish, depending on how big max, where you are, right? cash flow, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take a lot to go wrong to get wiped out. So, like, I feel that I don't like that narrative being pushed. Um, and also, um, an example I usually use is, you know, if people say, why don't you invest in property? Why are you just buying businesses now? I'm like, well, there's no ceiling in business, right? I can just keep buying and buying and buying. And if I hit the ceiling and capacity in the actual business, I'll just buy another one. And then all of a sudden you expand again, right? And also like average cash flow on my portfolio on somewhere like the two and three beds, 250 pound a month, right? Mm. If I'm lucky, right? If you look, yeah. Um, for me to just have a hundred grand profit, I need 400. I don't want 400 tenants and I do not want 400 houses, right? That's, that's not what I wanted to do. The whole point for me is to get the, maximize the cash flow with the least amount of houses and tenants, right? That's what I'd like to do. I also don't think it's as passive as people say it is. Now, even when we buy businesses, if we buy a business and it's properly attached, unless it's in the trading co, I don't want it. I always say it's in a property company, it's in your SaaS. I, I hate it when they say I was in the trading co, because I'm like, to pull that out, you need HMRC clearance, you need a specialist accountant, there's all sorts of headaches that comes with it. So we don't want the property. And there's a reason why, you know, private equity run the, the M&A space, right? They don't want the property either. Like, you know, it's very hard. It's a clumpy asset. It's very illiquid. We want something that's liquid. So if you was to come and buy a group from me, then why would you want to go through the headache of buying a load of buildings when you're like, I'll buy the group for this multiple because there's upside that I can get in two years time, sell it for a higher multiple, that person don't want the property either. So I think it's great to own real estate, but for me, I think that if you, it depends what your individual goals are. For me, mine is income. I want as much income as possible because that's what gives me lifestyle, that's what pays the bills, that's what allows me to do anything I wanna do, right? If I wanna go and buy something down the shop, I need income to do it. I don't care how much equity is in your house. You can't go and buy a pint of milk down the shop with equity in your house, right? You need income. So as far as I'm concerned, that's the most important thing. I think you greatly put, because when I speak to sometimes people and say, I want 100 properties, I'd say, look, that just sounds cool. Yeah. And when you start breaking it down the way you did, yeah. all of a sudden they think, actually, income is what's really important. So let's focus on that, right? Yeah, income. <sighs> Great, okay. How's your relationship with the health and gym and mindset and nutrition? Yeah, so good question. So you look um, in shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't know if it's a big large top or <laughs> yeah, large top. Um, yeah, so I try my best to keep on top of it. You know, um, so there's no excuses. I think realistically, like yeah. you, you should prioritize and take time. So uh, I pretty much just eat meat. Um, I don't really. Do I don't eat no breakfast. I don't. I lunchtime. I may have a bit of fruit, and then I just have a steak in the evening. That's all I have every single day. Really? Yeah, that's pretty for much a, it. Have you been doing that for a while, or? Well, yeah, so I, I, that's my main, what I aim to do. Um, okay. I will go through phases, you know, yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where, you know, my fault, like I said, is, is no excuse, but grab something when you're traveling, and then it's not, what, and then you just get thrown out. But in general, that's what I try to keep to, is just that, and then just drink water with it. Um, I find that I, I, I operate better. I feel like I've got more energy, which is crazy. Because years ago when I used to try and train to get it big, I used to have five meals a day, all this energy that used to go into the gym. And I would never used to feel as energetic as I do now. Yeah, and yeah. I eat way less. I don't even focus on what I'm eating because I know what I'm eating. That's what I try to do. I try to go to the gym, play a bit of football. 
Um, but I used to box when I was younger, so I, I like to do something that is active. I don't really enjoy like the gym. I, I prefer to like do just a get sport. active. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think that's Joe Rogan's diet as well. Yeah, he's a, I think just carnivore diet, right? Mm. It's, it's crazy because when I got first heard about it, I was like, how do you function throughout the day? without eating food mm. and then i listened to andrew huberman i'm not sure if you heard his podcast no. incredible guy talks a lot about like neuroscience and okay and cognitive performance um he covers everything and he mentioned if you ever want to do a high focus task yeah never eat before it because you it makes it harder to focus yeah yeah so i'm like well i know that i need to do most of the things most important things usually in the morning yeah so i thought i'll skip breakfast because i used to think oh, breakfast most important meal of the day day I find way better, I operate better without breakfast, and then I just, yeah, because i got three kids as well, I try and pick them up every single day, take them and pick them up every day. So by the time like that, it comes around to pick them up from school, I haven't eaten anyway. So I'm like, you know, that's like another, by the time I get them home and whatever, I've pretty much eaten anyway. So I just go yeah, in a yeah. routine, yeah. Okay, have you got three kids? Yeah, three, yeah. Okay, okay. Are you married as well? Yeah, married with three kids, yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, six, five, six, five, six years. Okay, okay. And how old are you? Because you look really young. 35. Okay, we're, sim we're exactly the same age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, okay, yeah. interesting. So, how's, how's family life? Yeah, good. Um, wife works in the business, um, very supportive. Obviously, I travel a lot. Um, so she's very supportive, especially with the kids too. Oh, she works in your in your organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is a dream, though. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a life hack. I think that most like entrepreneurial people in general. Yeah. Um, I think if your partner's on board and they're supportive mm. with the process, I feel that like it kind of skyrockets you because they understand what it is, what the vision is, what the goal is, and what the sacrifices are to get it. So I feel that I'm quite fortunate that she's basically back me with everything I've ever done wow. um, ups and downs obviously there's always ups and downs of course, course. Um, and I've just been quite I'm obviously quite fortunate that she's done that and obviously for three children as well if yeah. you don't have a supportive partner of it course. becomes quite hard to to work towards the things you want it's interesting you say but the key point being that the values and the vision they know they're on board with that oh, right yeah. if they don't get that then it's like it's going to be a nightmare really isn't it oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> yeah Okay, um, you do masterminds. Mm. Tell me about that. What masterminds are they? What do you teach exactly? And also, I want to touch a little bit on you went on a private jet to mm. Monaco. What yeah. was that experience like? So, Cool. So masterminds, um, so basically, I was buying businesses. I had a few people ask me to teach them. Um, I didn't really have a framework at the time. This was a couple of years ago to like teach. It was just what I was doing. Yeah. I was still making mistakes too, you know, like, so I'm like, well, I don't really want to teach people this because every deal's different. Um, so I sent them away to someone else that I knew that runs like business by masterminds. And two of them came back and it's like, it wasn't very good. Can you just teach us what you know? So I was like, look, give me some time. I'll put something together. Yeah. When I feel confident, we'll do it put something together, the one guy, I'm like, look, I'll work with you. And when I get proof of concept, maybe I'll show other people. This guy, um, we go on with business fairly quickly. So I was like, okay, we got proof of concept. And then it just grew from there. And I suppose that um, we already had a network, like the 5 a.m. club. Um, and then, so this mastermind come off the back of it. And then it grew quite quickly. And then more people get deals. They tell people. So that just grew. And we try and do like a quarterly meetup. Um, and then every other quarter we try and do something that's like bucket list style so um a few people that i knew um seen me on a jet before and it was like this would be sick to do a private jet so um yeah so sorry one person said that to me and then my wife shara was like you need to do like a private jet getaway with mm. the guys i'm mm. like oh it's funny because someone said that and um i thought let's just see if we can do it so i mentioned that one of our mastermind calls who would be interested and the interest was crazy. Like literally, we could it only. Would be, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I was like, I didn't think that people would want to like. There's a financial commitment to it, right? Of course. So I'm like, you know, I'm you know, you're on a jet into Nice. You're going from Nice to Monaco. You're spending some time in the south of France. You know, it's not going to be like cheap. You know, no, so I no. thought, let's see who's going to be interested. Yeah. But it is like a once in a lifetime. Most people don't really get a chance to fly on a jet. It's like a real bucket list. Yeah. Like yep. opportunity. So. Um, 
yeah, we, we managed to pull it together. In the end, we had a few people fly out like that didn't manage to get on the jet because he was obviously he's only so big the jet is. Yeah, they yeah. came out and then a few others were like, next time, make sure I'm top of the list because I missed out. So it was an incredible experience, you know, really good people that came. Um, and we just had a really good time while we was out there. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. How was Monaco? Yeah, it was awesome. My, uh, my dad lived in um, the south of France for about 18 months. This is going back like eight, nine years. So I used to go to Nice quite a lot and Monaco was like 20 minutes away. So I used to be obsessed with Monaco. I, yeah, I really yeah. love it. It's oh, so you've been there regularly, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, like, yeah. it's, like, it's like, I think it's like 0.7 of a square mile. It's really small. It's yeah. tiny. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, have you been Monaco? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible place. Yeah. The square in like Monte Carlo, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just like, a few networking events I've been to, so it's it's really really good. Yeah, it's a cool place. Yeah. Okay. Would you do Would you do the private jets again? Or? Yeah, we're doing it again. We're going to okay. do it either Q4, Q1 next year. Yeah. What is it like? Thirty forty grand a flight or something, or is it cheaper? Depends where you go. So like, if you go from, from 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 Biggin Hill to Nice was twenty grand, um, and that's that was for um, like a thirteen seater. Um, so we're probably gonna have to get a bigger one next time for more people to come yeah yeah, so, yeah. pocket but, change that for you isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so but yeah it really depends like you know it'd be it'd be cool to go and do like uk to dubai or uk to Therefore. the states but you know you start looking 50 to 100 grand then and yeah then you, or more it so. just inspires you to probably do more more stuff right you just, oh definitely yeah 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 i wanted to touch about uh, crypto yeah I don't know where I, I seen somewhere that you know about crypto. Mm. Do you know a lot about crypto? Do you know feel a like, fair bit, fair than fair bit than more than an average person? Well, I feel like I, I, I yeah, I understand it. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, for someone that doesn't understand crypto, because last year, literally, like last was it last year or the year before that, it was a big thing going on. Everyone's buying Bitcoin. Everyone's buying stuff, and I just got a phone call and. I, I'm all about, you know, just trying new, new things. And someone said, Ibi, put money in XRP right now. So it was 80 pence. So I, I bought a loads, right? And then it went down. But then I, when I started, big mistake, because the reason it was, I'm going to say it was a mistake is because I purchased it without studying it, mm. right? And then I started looking into it and I thought, right, okay, firstly, Ibi, you should know better that everything's a long-term game, right? Mm. It's not like it's going to... And secondly... You should read a bit more about what you invest into. Mm. So, how does crypto cycles work, and and how do you figure out like what are the top ten crypt cryptos to invest in? Hey YouTube, I'm really sorry to cut you off, but I have to share this with you. I want you to get to your next level, and I believe that personal development is the gateway to success. So what I've done is I've gone and created a seven-day free audio course. This is totally free. All you have to do is sign up, and from day one till day seven, every single day, you will receive a two-minute audio from me, which will elevate your mindset and give you power in your business. Make sure you go and sign up and let me know how you find it so i find with crypto if you invest in crypto what you think your risk appetite and time horizon is if you don't know it your crypto will <laughs> teach you it <laughs> yeah. very quickly very quickly um so in general you've got this these sort of four-year cycles people talk about yeah. every two hundred ten thousand blocks that are mined um there's a halving where, where the block the the miners the wall gets cut in half mm. so based on this halving um event you know generally after that we go into a like a bull cycle where you know we have a certain amount of time where everyone's euphoric and everything goes well you have all the altcoins they all go crazy and the thing is with the altcoins which is like an alternative coin to say bitcoin yeah um people just make anything up and with good marketing they'll make a lot of money and there's okay. a lot of scams as well so you see a lot of stuff that looks good because the marketing's really good and then you find out it's not very good and can it withstand the test of time because you never know and there's some i think that each bull run has had like a different narrative right um and i feel that the next bull run which is like 2025 ish i think i can't remember the exact date yeah i feel that like i could be completely wrong but i feel that it's going to be more of stuff that's linked to real world use case, actual real world use case, like it actually has utility because we've seen it last one where people thought, 
oh, this has got real world use case. This is why everyone's in this, it's gonna do well. And then you look at some projects like VeChain, which is like in supply chain management, you know, that is still going, it's still connected to big blue chips. There's certain tokens that have done well, you know, and mm. do have real world use case. And there's so many that don't. So I feel that, you know, when you go your layer ones, like you've got Solana, Ethereum, the, those projects there, which are really good, they, they've withstood the test of time, you could argue. Um, well, especially Ethereum, it's like they also struggle to scale, right? Mm. They, they struggle to uh, like just, yeah, scale in general. So we'll see what happens in the next bull run, but yeah. I'm... It's still all new though as well, It's right? very new, yeah. Like for me, like when people say, oh, you've, you've, you're all of a sudden, you're bearish on crypto. I'm like, no, I'm super bullish on crypto, but there's a time horizon and, you know, how many times can you beat on the drum to say to people that this is this is this because of this? You know, it's like yeah, yeah. Like I'm not going to keep making videos and keep telling people this is this is part of our future. Like you know, we're, we're in deep into a bear market right now. You know, so yeah. like you have bull and bear cycles right now. We're in a bear market. So am I going to keep banging on the drum? I've told people, you know, I'm not so much dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin now because I've accumulated. But realistically. It's up to you. If you don't have any, then do I think that it's going to have a place in the future? 100%. You've got BlackRock just applied for a Bitcoin ETF. You know, there's, it's, it's, you, yeah, Jack Mallers went to the IMF to speak to them about the utility of Bitcoin and how you can use it for cross-border payments. How, 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 much, how much information do you want to throw on someone? And the thing is with crypto, there's so many different moving parts. Yeah. Like you've got the metaverse. You have all these different things that people are like, oh, that's not going to last. This isn't going to last. What people will find is things happen and usually the idea is too early for his time and then eventually it comes into fruition later down the line. And I believe a lot of the stuff you've seen, a lot of the creativity and ideas we've seen in the 2021 bull run, mm. a lot of that's going to come to fruition later on. And I feel that, you know, a lot of people just wrote it off now. But we also got to understand that AI could play a big part in a lot of stuff that's going on as well. Um, there's a lot of stuff. Technology is an exponential growth. Yeah. And I feel that we know digital currency is going to play a part in the future. You know, we know that central banks are creating central bank digital currencies. Reason for is a reason for it, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, there's not a lot we can do. And I feel that you've got universal basic income. I think that's, you know, if you've listened to any of my podcasts or anyone listening since 2020 or before, I think I've, I've been talking about UBI linked to central bank digital currencies just purely because it has nothing to do with conspiracy tinfoil it's just fact like you know 2020 was the first time the bank of england said they were creating a digital currency it was public knowledge you know rishi sunak said it so it's like yeah, you know yeah, yeah. no one's hiding it but they're going to do it i feel the problem we're in is tech's in exponential growth people are opting out the labor force people don't want to work look how many jobs are available mm -hmm. right look how hard is it to hire people right now and the problem is people say oh the robots are coming blah 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 and they've been saying that for 20 years, but we still got our jobs. Okay, we'll see. You know, exponential growth. We've hit that exponential stage where we are seeing Amazon factories full of robots with a few engineers behind their computers controlling them. They used to all be staff. We've got modular builds, which is, you know, I think the housing market is slightly takes will take slightly longer because a lot of the people that are pushing the buttons are a lot older. But you've got 3D print construction, just 3D printing in general. You know, all of this stuff is deflationary. So you're going to take all the, the technology is already going to take all that energy out the workforce. And that's without people opting out. So what are you left with? A load of people that can't earn their money. So what do you need to do? You need to give them more money. Mm. And that's what they're going to do. And I think they'll incentivize the CBDC wallet. They'll probably say, look, Ibi, you come and bank with us. You're now going to bank with a central bank. Maybe they'll use like your HSBCs, NatWest, et cetera, to hold those accounts for the central bank. But they're going to say, bank with us, download our digital wallet. You're going to be like, no. They're going to say, okay, download it, we'll give you 500 quid. Now, based on 2020 and all the things that people think, oh, we would never do this. <laughs> you're going to catch me queuing. If you said in 2019, you're going to all be queuing up outside the shops two meters apart, people would have said no chance. Right? So, like, you know, so when they say 500 pound or 200 pound to download that digital wallet, 99.99% of people are going to do it. Yep. And then when you're in that ecosystem, they'll probably give you all a universal basic income. They're already, they're already trialing it now, like £1,600 a month or something. They've been doing it in Wales in the care sector for about 12 months. 
and then they're going to say, Ibi, you've got £1,600 a month or whatever the figure is. You have to spend it within four weeks within the economy, and this is what you're allowed to spend it on. After four weeks, it disappears. And that's pretty much what's going to happen. And then it wouldn't surprise me if they go down the, the, the route of, which I've seen them talk about it, about everyone has their own individual carbon footprint and all the other things as well. And then you can only eat steak so many times a month. You can only travel so fast. And it, there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. But back to the crypto situation, the CBDCs, there's um, it's DLT technology, so distributed ledger technology. It can be blockchain-based or non-blockchain-based. Mm. And what I've seen was the Federal Reserve in Boston, MIT, they, their pilot program is non-blockchain-based. So it's a spreadsheet. Now, the whole point, in my opinion, of creating a digital currency should be blockchain-based so it can't be tampered with because mm. they'll be linked to a smart contract. So everything is deep. You can see everything because blockchain's open source. Mm -hmm. But if you have it non-blockchain-based, then you can just, it's just a spreadsheet. You can, so kind of what they're doing now, we're probably going to stay the same in some capacity. They'll just have more control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, can you just show me a little bit on XRP? What's sorry, I got, uh, sorry, mate. <laughs> I, 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 I can't. I, I've never really liked XRP. Um, okay. But... Um, I know like the XRP army or, you know, all the... I'm not XRP army, I'm just... I just You're just an investor, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I think that, yeah, I don't think that much is going to happen for XRP, but who knows? It depends, yeah, like, yeah. they're linked to a lot of government, they're linked to a lot of central banks. Mm. You, you know, maybe XRP will have great utility, but whether that will do anything to price action on XRP, I don't know. Mm. Okay, okay. Also, with these tokens as well, people see that, like, you know, when they stake these tokens, then, like, I get X percent on it. People need to understand as well that, one, you know, where's that, where's the gains coming from? So when they say, I'll give you, you know, 20% interest on your token, right, where's that coming from for one? And two, mm. you need to check what the actual inflation rate of the coin is. Because you could be like, I'm getting 20% um, from staking this token, the inflation rate could be 25. So it's like, you, it's, there's so much that you need to focus on. And because it is the Wild West, people do whatever they want. And anyone with like a computer science background that really understands, they've, they've made a lot of money just because they understand that most of us retail investors don't understand it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they'll yeah. just make, make the most of it. Very true, very true. AI, hmm. you said that is, is going to, play a key role in, in a lot of things, right? Mm. Um, how are you uh, bringing that into what you're doing? Or are you just studying it at the moment? Or? Still studying it. I think that there's a few bits that Mike does all our techie stuff. I think he uses AI for a few bits, but yeah. um, like there's little things like obviously ChatGPT, I feel that like it's just like a buzzword because yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyone can use it. That's probably like a li literally a 0.5% fraction of what you know, can be done with AI, you know, that they're just drip feeding us with chat GPT and people think it's the best thing in the world, which it is good, but you know, that you've got to think we was given Google Maps 20 years after the military was using it. So when you think about what they're doing with AI now, if if you think chat GPT is good, can you imagine, right? So mm. I think that integrating AI, even little things like you can use AI for your Zoom meetings and Teams now where you pull in like a note taker and it takes your notes and Really? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's one's called read.ai. There's one called Otter. There's a few. There's a few, right? So you can use AI for a lot of things, but it's also like a bit of a buzzword at the moment. So everything is kind of like they say is AI. Um, but I think that yeah, if you can integrate AI and make sense of it, then yeah, I think that you can make your business more efficient and just streamline it a little bit. But um, yeah, I think that we're going to see some massive developments over the next 18, 24 months in AI, hundred percent. Yeah. What do you think of people that um, coaches, mentors that are just going to use ChatGPT to build something and just just put it out there? I mean, what's your thoughts on that? What, um, how how do you think is it long lasting? Is it they're going to get caught out eventually, or because there's no authenticity, like no genuine authenticity authenticity there, is it? Yeah. So I think everyone that doesn't do what they say will get caught out eventually. Yeah, yeah. If if you're doing if you're coaching something and you don't actually do it or you don't really understand it. There's, there's no, no doubt in my mind that, like you just said, if you're not authentic, you will get caught out, end off. Yeah, because yeah. you can only, you it's can only, only so lie long, for so it? long. Someone's just going to say you don't do it. Like, I feel that it's important to show that you do what it. What you do in it. And also, like, 
be transparent. Like, yeah. just because you're coaching somebody doesn't mean that you can't make mistakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone yeah. makes mistakes. No one is at some of the greatest people in the world at their at their craft will make mistakes. You know, that's what's what happens. So I feel that the people that try and be flawless and never make a mistake, they're the ones that usually get caught out first eventually. Yeah, yeah. D, what's your non-negotiables in a day? Like, these are your non-negotiables. Like, even it could be one thing or two things. Like, what is it? Like, do you do anything? It could be like social media posts. It could be, I don't know, something for yourself or... Maybe just move the needle. So, like, wherever I'm working on at the time, there's a non-negotiable for me. Unless I dedicate the time, like I'm having today off or whatever, without a doubt, I'm getting up and I'm getting to work. I don't have no fancy morning routine. Okay. But I will get up and I get to work. You know, like... Um, of course, there's things I'd like to do. Sometimes things get in the way, but my phone is on do not disturb 24-7. Oh, is it? Yeah, the only person that can call me is my wife. I always think that if anyone needs to call me, um, that's important enough. They got her number, they can get in contact with me. Otherwise, it's WhatsApp or Slack. Um, I feel that I don't try and, I try not to let people take time out of my day. Got so it. So if that phone goes, how easy is it to lose 25, 30 minutes talking BS to somebody and then you get thrown out of what you're doing. So like stuff like that. Are you that, good at that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just try and keep that optimized. But non-negotiables are just, yeah, just everything. Even that's, that's really good if you, if you do that because a lot of people will just answer the phone, just disrupt the whole day, isn't it? Because you just don't know who's on the other side of that call. Oh, yeah. It can mess up everything. Oh, yeah. Even, even like my brother and stuff knows, like he gets frustrated though. He's like, you know, put me on, like, take me off, do not disturb. But I just know it's, you get to get taken away from something and there's, you know. Well, How do you do that, put on do not disturb? Is it just a feature you press? It's like yeah. plain mode. Yes, you put, yes. So basically you put it on do not disturb and then you can go into the settings of do not disturb and you can pick which numbers can call you. Oh, so when they call you, it doesn't go through? No, nah, it just says that it can't connect or something. I don't even know what it says. I'm know. using that today. Yeah, it's good. Yes, yeah, so you can do that. And like, so you can put like 10 numbers on there if you want. If you want like your, your family on there and certain people, you can put 10 on there. But I just feel that actual speaking to me on the phone, unless it's like I work on my calendar, right, every single day. So if I've got calls booked in, I'm working off that. And yeah, yeah. anything in between now is stuff that I'm planning to do. So I can't have someone call me and just take 30 minutes. Just I love that. Know. Yeah, that's great. What is the join the 5 a.m. club? So that's like a, a very low barrier to entry to entrepreneurship. So I yeah. feel that like if you're an entrepreneur, it's a great community to be a part of anyway, because everyone's working towards something. But I also feel that people that are probably testing the water with like if they're employed and they want to test something else. We've had speakers from pretty much every background and sector. Right. Mm. So it's a great place for you to go into like a hub and be like, what am I interested in? What do I see myself doing? And they can listen to people present on the thing that they're doing. So if you are marketing, you've got some of the greatest like online social media marketers that you'll listen to, property, whatever it is. Whatever it is, yeah. You just look on there and be like, maybe this is for me, maybe it isn't. And it's a good place for them to really gauge where they're going. But again, we have some meetups. We've done some, like you said, that you come to one of our events in Cardiff. Yep. Like, you know, we try and put some events on. Like, I think last year we did eight. Um, UK, US, and Dubai. So it's pretty cool. A lot of people come to them. Um, and it's just a good network of people. Okay, interesting. And finally, how do you see life? What is life to you? Um, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't really search for meaning. Okay. I, I feel that like it's one of those things where I think a lot of people wonder what meaning is and they say well their why is right mm. and i think that in regards to like how you want your life to look yeah you should have a why i'm doing it because you know i want my kids to have a better life or whatever but i don't really search for meaning i just feel like i just get up and just live every single day you know um, i plan ahead of course i do i plan in decades and down the line but realistically i just i just think that every single day you just gotta make the most of it and, and if i search for meaning i feel like you overanalyze life and then when you, when you overanalyze life, you start to you start to think, oh, this is because of this, or this is because of this. I can't do this because of this. And I think you just put limitations and you create ceilings for yourself. So I just feel life's a thing where it's not meant to just be happy. You know, people go, oh, you know, do what makes you happy. Um, what are you aiming for? They say happiness. It's like, like no one actually said life was meant to be happy. 
if you actually look at how life's set up, it's, it's not easy, realistically. You know, like, luckily now we have grown as, mm. you know, the human race, where now we have all these buildings and we have running water. If you actually look at history, you know, where we've come from, and there's still people going through this right now. So, you know, the, people have life differently, it depends on where you are in the world. But yeah, I feel that it's not meant to be easy. Maybe it's not meant to be fully happy. Do what does make you smile because it's important. But I think don't don't dwell on things too much. Like time's gonna go. And uh, an example I used before was if you had a if if you could see the time on your head counting down to the yeah. day you're gonna die, you would hundred percent live every day differently. Of whether course. that said forty years, whether that said ten minutes, you'd live differently, right? But it is on our head. Mm. We just don't see it. So you have to live like you can see the timer. You don't know how long you go. So as much as cliche as it is, I feel that you should be making the most of it, enjoying it, do things you want to do. Be a bit more present. Yeah, thing. definitely. Interesting. Is there any final messages you want to share? Any advice you want to give? Any bars you want to drop? Um, Anything, bro? To be fair, I think you made a good point early on taking action mm. at the start. If you want to do something, do it. Like, I think that there's value in failure. Don't be scared to fail. Like I failed so many times. Like literally, I've done a, about a dozen startups. Most of them failed. You know, it just is what it is. Like you learn the best lessons from failure. Like you know, you you learn how not to do it, right? So you don't want to do it again. And I feel that when you when you have experienced failure, you realize it doesn't feel good. And then when you experience winning, you realize how good that feels. So I feel that I'm very much like get rid of the victimhood mentality. There's winners, there's losers, that's life, end of. No matter how you dress this up, there's winners and losers in life, right? Mm. Not everyone can get a trophy. So if you want to feel what it's like to win, you have to take action. And if you feel like then you experience failure, 100%, but there is value in failure. But the most important thing is what you said earlier. Whatever it is you want to do, however big or small it is, if you don't take action, you're never going to do it. You can read as many books, watch as many videos, talk to as many people, go to as many networking events as you want, until you actually do it, it's going to be very hard to, to, yeah, to move your needle. I think that's very well put. Um, talking about books, do you read books? Or yeah, yeah. A lot? or Not so much now. I'd like to read more. I think everyone that reads would like to read more. Um, yeah, I need to make more time to read. You know what's really interesting, what I wanted to know is, I forgot to ask you, is you're obviously, you, you run Masterminds. Mm. You are a mentor coach to a lot of people. How much study time do you actually put in into your stuff, whether it's understanding the economy, whether it's understanding this, that, whatever it is, right? top five companies, 100 companies, how much time do you actually put in every day or every week or what? Yeah, I put a lot of time in. So one of the things that I think is they say is 10,000 hours and it takes to become expert at something. Yeah. And someone um, posted it, a guy called Riz Online, he posted um, Riz Arda, you need to get him on this podcast. Okay. He, but he... He posted before saying you can't fake those 10,000 hours. Okay. I thought it was really, really cool because that's true. Like you're going to do the 10,000 hours one way or another, whether you fail the whole 10,000 or whether you win or a mixture. Mm. So I think you have to do the 10,000 hours. So I naturally just do a lot of research anyway. Like I love understanding like macroeconomics and how the economy moves, credit, condition, credit conditions and just what's moving in the M&A space. I really enjoy watching that type of stuff. And when we were... So the boring stuff where people, normal people would find boring. Yeah. yeah well, I yeah. think when people understand it, it's that's not, not boring anymore. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you start to understand why things are happening. So like, I don't really watch the news, but when you start to see what's going on in the world, you start to understand why it's happening. Because yeah, yeah. you understand it. So um, yeah, I think that um, that's important. But when it comes to reading, um, you know, you, you've got someone that's clearly done something good in their life and they've pieced all this into a book. So all their best tips from the books, you, you, it's a bit of a hack. So I think it is important to read books if you, and dedicate some time to it. But I think I get a lot of my reading now from researching what researching, I'm doing. Researching, yeah. But I would like to read more, but I got tons of books I need to get through. Yeah, yeah. So, so you basically, essentially, you spend a lot of time researching, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And But I think that also like, a lot of the stuff that I pick up now as well, like I said, every deal is different, right? So I work with a lot of people too. So when they pull deals up, they could experience something I haven't experienced yet because of something in the deals. So then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I need to adapt to this situation. Yeah, and then yeah. I give my opinion on the situation. But you always learn something new. Like of course. On every deal. There's no two deals the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Do you work your plans in five years, ten years, or do you not look at that? Or you like I you used said, to, not anymore. No, okay. I, don't, I don't. I'm just like, like the what my one thing is. Um, about a year ago, I, I thought I'm dedicating the next ten years to achieving my the, the life that I want to live. Yeah. And wherever that takes me in the world, I'll do. I'm going to do wherever it takes. I'm like nine years left. Nine years now, wherever it takes, wherever the world takes me. No, there's no compromise. I'll do whatever it takes and go where I need to go to get that life. And that, that, so that's the only thing. So I've got like a 10-year cycle there. But um, Is that attached to a number? Like 100 million or 50 million or anything like that or not really? Yeah, so I want, I want to surpass 100 million in deals Yeah. just to know I've done that. But I think that if you can get, oh, it's a lot less. Like, it'd be nice to get like 50 million liquid, but yeah. 10 million liquid is a lot of money. To have liquid 10 million in your bank. You mean like cash? Yeah, cash in the bank. Yeah. Not in assets, liquid money in the bank. That's a, that's a, that's a. You can do a lot of good stuff with that, can't you? Oh yeah, like if you, if you understand on how to use it, you, you're not gonna have to do much again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brother, it's a pleasure to have you on. Mate. It's been good. Thank you, thanks for the invite. No problem, awesome. no problem. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this episode insightful. And if you did, make sure you subscribe so you won't miss the next one. Don't forget, we are also on YouTube. You can watch these interviews in full there too and join the discussions in the comments. Just search Ibi Aslam Uncensored. There's new episodes every week. So I'll see you there.